Well, good morning. And it's good to be with you. Uh, we're continuing our series, The Body of Christ. And if you have your uh, copy of God's Word, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. If you do not have a Bible that is yours or you forgot one, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. So please feel free to use that. And if you don't have one, it's a free gift. So they're a truly free gift, right? So we're glad that you guys are here. Um, as you're turning there, I have a couple things just want to let you know and be reminded of. Is the first one is March 2nd, the Saturday. Um, we're going to have a work day. We've been kind of watching the weather to see what it was going to do. And obviously, I'm going to say something now. Say, yeah, let's be there. And it's going to be like a hurricane. But right now, if it's sunny, we're planning on being there. 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. here at the church. There's painting. Uh, there's some uh, work that we need to do at the parking lot and other things. Uh, if you have a chainsaw, tree trimmers, a lumberjack outfit, then we've got some things for you to do as well. And so there's really, there's doesn't matter what your skill level is, even if you're a cheerleader or a water bringer or whatever it may be, a gopher, um, there's something that we can all do. So I encourage you guys, if you can, be here this Saturday, 8 a.m. to noon, uh, for the church work day to help kind of invest back in what God has given us, because we're not done with this stuff yet, right? This is still the tool that God has given us to use. So please be aware of that and uh, make time for that as well. And also we have um, Discipleship Now coming up for students 7th through 12th. And currently there are 10 students who are in need of financial help to uh, make their way through this. And so there is a need for about $750 of scholarship money to help out these students for their Discipleship Now. And that's this coming weekend as well, the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of March. If this is something that God is laying on your heart, or if you were just looking for a way to help somebody out, and this is one of those things that you'd like to be a part of, you can write a check for whatever amount God's laid on your heart, but just put on their scholarship for discipleship now, and then we'll make sure that gets them. Or if there's a giving envelope, there's a section for uh, designated, unrestricted. You can put scholarship on that as well, and then we'll make sure that that gets to that student so that they can be able to be there uh, for discipleship now. Um, one of the things I love uh, about this church is that we do believe in discipleship. That's one of the reasons why we invest in our students and our kids and our adults in, in discipleship. And this is my segue into what we're talking about today, which is what is discipleship and how does it work here in the church? Um, if you're new and I haven't got to meet you before, my name is Nick. Um, I have the honor and privilege of serving as a community and mission pastor. And discipleship is one of the things that God has uh, allowed me to be a part of here and oversee, and uh, I'm really excited about that opportunity. I love doing it. I love being part of people's lives in that. Um, our normal uh, lead pastor is out, so if you're wondering where Jason is, um, Jason loves God and Jason loves the church, but we also know that he needs rest, and so he's spending time with his family, and we're grateful for that because he loves them a lot as well. So you guys be praying for him and just make sure he takes that time of rest. But also know you're excited to have him back when he gets back next Sunday. But uh, So if you're kind of wondering where he's at, that's where he's doing. is He's uh, taking that rest that he deserves very much and spending it with his family. So one of the things I want to start off with is just the hard things to say. So the first part of this is I just want you guys to know I love you. But you are horrible, wretched sinners. <laughs> I feel better. I hope you feel encouraged. Let's pray and we'll go home. The end. Um, no, gratefully, that's not the end, right? Um, I make light heart of that, but let's be honest. Sin is something that we deal with every day. I've asked this of some people, like, how many sinners do you come in contact today? Guess what? It's a true question. It's 100% of the time. Why? 
you are a sinner yourself. You are always in contact with yourself. And so we do have this great sin problem. And, and that is God's story of redemption, is to rectify what has been broken and lost, our identity in him and this world has fallen apart because of sin and the consequences that happen in it. You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe you just need to raise your hand in your heart. But how many of you are dealing with the effects and suffering of sin in your life? Now, whether you raise your hand or not, I'm going to give you a little help. The, the answer is all of us. But maybe this morning you need to take a moment to just really qualify what is suffering and hurting. Like, really ask yourself, where am I experiencing that? Because I think we, we, we walk with it so often and so much, we become familiar to it, and we almost become numb to it, and we're no, we're no longer aware of its impact because it's just how it is. I'll be honest with you, I'm a big guy, and so for the whole year I've been trying to eat clean, and my daughter had a birthday, and I ate a piece of pizza yesterday. It was so bad. I felt so sick. And to be honest, I used to eat that stuff all the time. But the reason I never noticed how bad I felt is because I always felt bad. Right? So when we walk and we experience sin and suffering on such a normal, everyday basis, the devastation that it has on us and the people around us sometimes becomes to be like white noise. We get used to it. We, we kind of learn to adapt to kind of have it and deal with it at the same time. But it's, it's wearing. It's weary. It, it's hard to bear that. And so with the word of discipleship, like we don't want that to be the same thing as our sin and suffering. And we don't want it to be something that's so familiar because we've heard of discipleship. We've heard of Bible studies. We've been in the church for so long that we've somehow lost its meaning because it becomes familiar to us. We no longer tend to press in and dig deeper into things that are familiar. Like if you've ever experienced that in a relationship, a friendship, your spouse, your kids. When you become so familiar, you stop doing the little things because you feel like you've gotten everything out of it you can and hope for. But when we look at discipleship, we look at the goal and the trajectory of discipleship is to be made more like Christ. And I don't know about you guys, we've already established that we're not there yet. So there is not a familiarity or a point where we can finally go, I've arrived. But sometimes we are there and we ignorantly just sit and we sit in our sin and just become content with this is just how life is. And today we're going to be looking at discipleship and God's plan and use of discipleship in our lives. So if you have God's word with you, we're going to be Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And uh, if you're familiar with this verse, don't be. Like, let's dig into it. Let's understand what God is using it for. So it reads in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A lot of times we focus on the next step in verse 19 of go and make disciples, but Jesus first prefaces all of this and gives us context in saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Authority meaning that he has the right and the power to do whatever he wants, to do something, to do nothing, or to do everything. Because all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. 
And when you think about heaven and earth, we're talking stars, cosmos, universe, Milky Way, um, space stations, moons, earth, that's you, me. It says to the ends of the earth as well, so that it's not just Texas, that's not just Fort Worth. It includes all of us. And God's declaring his authority over everything that he has, in fact, created, has dominion over, and as part of his story of redemption, he is above all things. So what does this mean for us? It means that God has the right and the power, and there's nothing that can challenge it on heaven and earth. There's nothing that can compare to it on heaven and earth, and there's nothing in heaven and earth that allows us to call into question God's will, purpose, and authority. It's unmatched. And when we ask ourselves, why is this important? Because without this declaration of Jesus' authority at the very beginning of this command is that there's no hope if Jesus doesn't have true authority over heaven and earth. Like, what is the point of us meeting here if there's no hope or reason for change? We basically just have a club of sinners who only know how to hurt and suffer and live in that hurt and suffering. Because in fact, that is our nature as children of wrath. And so there's no hope in that. And so we need to have his authority because I can look in my own life and when I've, when I've used my all authority as Nick, it's never gone well. It's very disastrous and it often ends in just consequences for me and a lot of suffering and hurt for people around me. This is the kingdom that I can come up with that is the best, is my life. Full of hurt and sin and death. And nothing inside of me is great enough or powerful enough to do anything that would last in a change. I can put on a few extra coats of paint, but the fruit is still rotting from the inside out. And so only one thing can empower you and I to be disciples of Christ, to make disciples for Christ, is to proclaim the gospel throughout the world, that Jesus Christ came, died, buried, resurrected, so that you and I may, may have salvation. That the very thing that you and I live with on a day-to-day -day basis in this fallen world, as fallen people, would now have an opportunity to be resurrected and transformed into something new and beautiful. Sin and death has had victory, and we see in God's word, that death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? It's gone. So we cannot be disciples in Christ unless we first believe in the authority of who Jesus says he is. And that authority is declared in the fact that he came and died, was buried, defeated death in resurrection, and now sits at the right hand of the Father where he rightfully belongs. That's the authority of Christ. When we become believers and we enter into a relationship with him, that is the first thing we have to declare, right? That he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he did, and because of him and only through him, I can receive salvation. So before he does anything else, he sets up that authority that we have to be underneath and that we have to submit, that we have to recognize. And whether we do or not, it doesn't change the fact that he has all authority. So discipleship is a process. If we look in verse 19 and 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. I love that the fullness of God is represented in this passage, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We just got done singing it. 
So this great commission, we see this process of discipleship unfold, that one, we have to place our faith and trust in the authority of who God is and his gospel. And then as a representation of what that does inside of our hearts is we are buried in baptism and risen to walk in newness of life. In obedience, God calls us to be baptized, to show to the world and to say, what has happened inside of me is now an expression outside that this is what God has done for me, and I will walk in obedience to that authority. And then teaching and learning all that Jesus has commanded. This is not an afternoon cup of coffee at Starbucks. Okay? Discipleship is not a quick sprint. It is not something you can watch a YouTube video on and get it and be done. It's not a podcast that we can just binge watch on Netflix or something. This is a lifelong process of learning all that he has commanded us. All that he has commanded us, folks, that is a lot. Our feeble minds can't even comprehend all of who he is, so I don't know how we think we could ever be done this side of eternity. But in our sinfulness, we become comfortable in our sin, and we start to believe that we're good enough, or that's enough. I have what I need to make it through. That's not God's call, and that's not God's command, and that's not God's design for redemption. The goal of discipleship is to become more mature and like Christ. Jason touched on this last week with Ephesians chapter 4 of our goal of equipping the saints um, because uh, we don't want us to stay longer as children. So if you look at chapter 4, verse 14 in Ephesians, it says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's a lot of things against us, right? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Discipleship doesn't focus on the outside, folks. It is from the inside out. So what is the way that God uses or calls us to become more like him? Is first is to die to self. God calls us and bids us to come and die. If you look at Luke 14, verse 27, it says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We see that through all the gospels, this call to pick up your cross daily and follow after him. So bearing a cross doesn't just mean you're having a hard time. It can mean that. It can mean persecution. It can mean suffering from sin that's either some we've caused or somebody else's cause or the fact that we live in a fallen world. But it means dying to old attitudes, envy, strife, jealousy, pride, selfishness. If God has all authority in heaven and on earth, it doesn't just mean that I have to lay down and die to just bad things as well, right? So if we think about this, we can also desire good things But those good things may not be where God is leading us or directing us. Sometimes we have to die to our own ambitions and our own desires that don't seem inherently bad. They don't look nasty and ugly like sin does. But whenever I exert what I want and my desire above that which who has all authority, it doesn't matter whether it looks good or not, it's become sin in our life. So I desire something, and it becomes more important in my life to the point of idolatry. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It is sin. 
So being a disciple of Jesus means surrendering our lives and embracing the life that Christ gives. This is the only way for us to have true life. If we're talking about discipleship, you've got to have God's word, right? And then you also have to have Diedrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know who he is, he's awesome. He will make you feel really, 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 really bad and encouraged at the same time. Because he looks at this cost of discipleship, and so I have a couple of quotes for him. And looking at this death that has to happen to us moment by moment, probably a thousand times a day, for us to die to ourselves, our ambitions, our self-reliance, our selfishness, our pride, our anguish, our anger. And if we don't look at what it costs to be discipled, the fact that that is a high price to pay to live according to how God has called us, he says if we don't do that, cheap grace holds that an intellectual assent to an idea is sufficient to provide forgiveness. That all I need is knowledge. Costly grace, though, what God is calling us to, recognizes and leads us to this obligation in discipleship. We have a desire to die to self. And we also have to strive to die, to die for self. Cheap grace leads people to believe that their only duty as Christian is to go to church for an hour or so on Sunday and be assured that their sins are forgiven and then go home. The rest of the time belongs to me. But costly grace leads us to seriously following Christ, which means giving him every part of me. My hopes, my dreams, my desires, my name, my agendas, and all the ugly parts of me as well. So he calls us to come and die, and that is part of it, but we also see this newness of life that he gives us, so it makes a lot of sense for the representation of that to be something that shows the death of self and the resurrection of new life, and that's where we have baptism. This picture of being buried in death of old self, self-reliance, and risen to walk in newness of life, and that is now a life that is completely relying on who Christ is, becoming more and more mature of who he is. In Romans 6, we see this call, which is, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, um, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So Jesus commands us to do this, to be part of our life, to show this obedience that he's calling us to as disciples, to declare to the world what he has done and, and on the inside. It's even a mark of what he has for the unity of the church and in, as the body of Christ. We saw that the very first Sunday when we looked at what the church is. It's one of our distinctives is that the church is made of members of those who have been baptized. We say this every time somebody gets baptized. There's nothing spiritually um, happening when somebody gets baptized in the sense that this is not what saves us. This is Fort Worth tap water run into it by a garden hose and heat it up. That is it. But when Christ calls us to come and die and we then are called to walk in obedience, that first step of obedience of not choosing what I want but choosing what his wants is an important mark in our life. But that can't be where we stop. That can't be all that there is. So we see the rest of verse 20 where it says that he calls us to teach all that he has commanded. 
Baptism is great, dying to self is great, but that is not where he leaves us because we are called to be taught and to learn and to be ongoing students of who he is. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We see this pattern of dying to self, being renewed by who God is through his word, so that what is good and acceptable and perfect we would know. The new life of a disciple is a life of obedience to Jesus' commandments, or it's not a new life at all. That's what we talked about at the beginning. It would just be a club of sinners. It's worthless for me to acknowledge who Christ is and be baptized and then no longer learn or keep his commandments the rest of my life. Think about that. How can I submit to his authority and be baptized and then no longer walk in his commandments? It doesn't, it doesn't mesh, it doesn't jive, it doesn't have a cohesion to it. Discipleship is important to our growth as believers, as disciples. We see in 2 Timothy 3, 16, where it talks about that it's God-breathed, it's all-inspired, but it's profitable for rebuking, correcting, reproof, for, for taking and maturing us into the image of who God is. As a church, the way this plays out is we have discipleship classes. Currently, right now, we're running a marriage class that's going to be about 10 weeks long, and they're in their third week right now. Be praying for them. Not because their marriages are bad, but because they desire to hear God's word and God's design for marriage. To be equipping the saints to understand God's design and purpose for our lives and for the things that he's instituted like family and marriage. One of the other ways that this plays out and I'm really passionate about is biblical counseling. And I don't know what your experience with counseling is. A lot of times it comes with baggage of what the world has called counseling. Um, But what biblical counseling really truly is is very specific and intense discipleship. It's very, very much intentional. And so when we walk through somebody or with somebody that's hurting, or when I'm walking through hurt, then it's when we walk in a very specific and intentional way about what that thing is, with the goal of walking out of it, understanding what God's purpose and design for it is. One of the other things we have here at the church is redemption groups. It's kind of new. Um, But it's a nine-week thing where we go through the story of Exodus, and it really shows how that sin that we live with, probably for our whole lives, that we've never really weighed and counted, we let God weigh and count it, and we see God's story of redemption lay on top of all those hurts and those pains, and how God uses those things for his glory and his purpose. And even though things may not be perfect or good, he shows his presence that he is near and that he is powerful and he is just and he is sovereign and he is merciful and he is gracious. Because when we have looked at discipleship and we have heard of what it means to be a Christian, we try to teach against the fact that life will now be good, right? It's not true. That's why I asked at the very beginning, let's just take a moment to weigh where we are in suffering from sins that either we are committing or committed against us because if we're honest with ourselves, There's probably more there than we pay attention to. So those are ways that we see discipleship happening here at Salt Rock in an intentional way. 
But the main thing that makes discipleship effective and what God has called us to do to live this mission of going, make disciples, and be discipled is to be intentional in our relationships. If you listen to the vision of the church, it's um, the primary way we cultivate spiritual growth is through community groups. And the primary way we live the mission in our everyday life is by building intentional relationships with the people around us. Because living the mission is discipleship. Living the mission, making disciples, is what we are called to do. Which means that we're all called to counsel, by the way. As biblical counselors, we are called to know God's truth and be able to rightly divide it and help each other. And that's our goal, is to equip the church. That's why we have counseling training 101 to teach you how to do these things. It's amazing to see God use the giftings that we all have and the way he uses those in those moments. Discipleship doesn't just happen because it's just a natural thing that happens. It happens when we're intentional and we cultivate deep, honest relationships with the intentions of growing towards Christ and encouraging one another towards that as well. We can have discipleship in just spontaneous ways, but the primary way that we see discipleship happening is in the local community and the body. Hebrews 3 talks about how we can spur one another on so that we do not become numb or desensitized to the sin around us. And so we are called and commanded to meet regularly, to spur each other on in Christ's likeness. Because what does sin want to do? Sin wants to take and isolate us. Sin wants to cover us and hide us from each other. Sin covers us in shame and guilt. And if I no longer have places of truth like God's word or places of, or relationships of truth like the community, then I'm tempted to fall by the wayside in the lies that Satan tries to bring into our lives. Discipleship relationships, we see that happening in God's word in the gospels. So we see that Jesus predominantly was teaching and instructing them on what it meant to be a follower of Christ, to be able to send them out. But we also see multiple times where Jesus walked in obedience and they were able to experience and see his obedience to the heavenly father, even to the point of death. So we see there's an offer, there's, there's the both end of teaching and walking in obedience in community. Deuteronomy 6, 7 shows us that discipleship happens when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, or when you lie down, or when you rise. It's every moment, every day. There's not a time where we take this burden or call or however you feel about it off. It is something that God is equipping us and calling us to do at all times. So the primary way we see community happen here at Solid Rock is, yes, we gather here and worship, but community happens specifically for us is in community groups. Small groups of 10 to 12 adults who meet at least twice a month to hear God's word, to discuss God's word, to make application of these high and lofty things where we see the person of Christ become very practical and real. We're able to actually taste and see that God is good. Where we share the burdens of what it means to live in a broken and fallen world. Because life's hard. It is hard. But the fruit of walking with somebody in this is almost, it seems unnatural for us to step into it, but that's God's design and purpose. And when we do that and we share the burdens, 
when we ask for prayer, when we ask for encouragement, when we ask for the truths of God to be spoken over us, man, it's amazing. Because even when life is hard and it doesn't get better, there's something satisfying, something beautiful in beholding who God is. We saw that in Job when we were going through the worship series. That even in the midst of heartache, we can say, God, you reign. So wherever you are in life, <clears throat> you are not designed to be alone. You are called and commanded to walk in obedience to who God is. To know his word, to experience him relationally. As the worship team comes up, <clears throat> I want us to consider what God has been speaking to us today. Discipleship is part of God's redemptive story. It's what he's chosen to use. It's his purpose <clears throat> in taking what was broken and making it new again. And I don't know everybody's story, and you hear Jason say this a lot, but maybe you haven't come to a place where you've seen God's authority or recognized who God is, and maybe that's where God is calling you is to have a relationship with him today. To know that, that when he died and rose again, that that same grace and same gospel is being offered to you as well. Or maybe you're here and you have had a very stale and stagnant discipleship life, personally or in community. And God has laid it on your heart to step out in what seems to be comfortable, what seems to be safe, and say, I need to be in community. I don't know what that looks like, but I need to be in community. And if that's where you're at, then come talk to our prayer partners. Come talk to me. We want to help get you in community. Because I'm going to be honest with you. Discipleship and redemption, it hurts sometimes to be exposing those things that hurt us. <coughs> Often we want to just pretend like they didn't happen or they're not real and kind of numb ourselves to them. But it is the sweetest thing to have God wrap you up and show that he is powerful and near when we are hurting. Because he knows and he's experienced that hurt and he empathizes with us. Or maybe you're here and God's laying on your heart somebody that he wants you to start investing and pouring into because when God calls us and has a plan and a purpose, then God provides those things. God provided a string of men and women in my life that I would not be where I am today spiritually, if it wasn't for them, taking the love of Christ and sharing it with me. And each and every one of us knows that our spiritual journey has not been on our own either. That somebody somewhere has been investing or pouring into you at some point. But if God is also calling us to be disciple makers, then he's going to provide people for us to disciple. And that's a call for the church. That's not just for leaders. That's not for powerhouses, because guess what? It doesn't exist. We are all sinners in need of Christ. And so if that's where you're at, then I'm just asking you to be faithful to respond however God is leading you. And so as we go into a time of worship, let's go before God and let's pray. And I just ask that you would be faithful in that. Father God, we come before you. God, you are sovereign and gracious. You are just. Father, you don't. You didn't gloss over our sin. You didn't act like it wasn't there. God, you paid for it. You paid a heavy price for that.
God, you call us to walk in that death with you, to die to our self-reliance, but to walk in a new reliance and a new life of you. Father, may we be encouraged by the community to walk in your word, to walk in the truths of your grace and your gospel through community. Because God, we are prone to wonder and forget. So Lord, we pray these things 